Welcome to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. I'm Sarah. And I'm Gabby. And we are two first-year physical therapy students sharing our grad school experiences to help PT students around the world. Embark on this journey with us as we navigate through the insanity of physical therapy school together. Are you struggling financially in PT school? Are you a PT student struggling to find scholarships? Not enough scholarships offered at your school. We have started the Gratitude Scholarship for PT students, no matter what year, no matter what school you guys can apply. We are raising $5,000. You can check out our GoFundMe link in the description and you can donate, apply, whatever, check it out. We are so excited to be giving this away in the summer of 2019 for our very first time. If you're enrolled in the summer of 2019, interested in applying for the scholarship, you can submit a video no longer than two minutes answering these two questions. What is your vision of physical therapy in the future? And what are you doing outside of the classroom as a PT student? If you answer these two questions and email us the video and submit it before May 1st, then you will be eligible for the scholarship. So check it out, guys. Definitely worth applying. It doesn't take long. We look forward to hearing all your submissions. Thank you. In this episode with Dr. Alicia Emerson, she talks more about her journey in physical therapy and getting her bachelor's in biology, now getting her PhD. She is the director of the pro bono clinic at High Point University and talks more about how they embrace being culturally welcome to everyone and more about how they run the pro bono clinic. Yeah, and actually it's crazy because you guys have patients from 31 different countries and you have cultural awareness classes, which I was actually kind of surprised at. Um, and you're actually involved in the pro, pro bono clinic in those classes, which is a full-time pro bono clinic that is run by the faculty and you guys have so many things. I love that you started a community garden, you have a food pantry and you're really filling a health desert in North Carolina since, and we talked a little bit about the Affordable Care Act, uh, not too many details, but basically North Carolina didn't extend the Affordable Care Act. So you guys are providing healthcare to a lot of people who don't normally have access to it. Yes, and she also really emphasizes um, what she looks for with students who are going into PT school, and she gives some great tips for current students. Also, I just had a side note because I did say something in this episode that I couldn't quite cut out easily. <laughs> so in this episode, you'll notice at the time we recorded this, my school didn't have a pro bono clinic open, but now they do. And although I was not involved at the time of the recording, I will be much more involved in the future. So enjoy the episode. So welcome to another episode of Gratitude, everyone. So for today, we have a really special guest, and that is Dr. Alicia Emerson. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, we are super excited to have you, and we just want to know a little bit more about your journey in, into the PT profession. Wow. Well, it's, it's a long journey, I'll warn you, but um, what I would say is that I always knew I wanted to help people and I loved biology and physiology and so I was actually an undergrad major in biology 
and just took my time to figure out where I thought I could maximize my ability to help patients. And physical therapy is just that natural meeting where you can spend a long time with patients, really get to understand where they're coming from, build some relationships with them, and actually see really positive outcomes and feel like you're really making a change in the world. So that, that's how I got started into it. Awesome. Do you want to know? Very cool. Oh, like yeah. Academic? Yeah. Where did yeah. Let's hear all of it. Yeah, where did you go for undergrad and PT school? So I went to Illinois Westland and graduated with my bachelor's of arts in um, biology. And then I graduated from the University of Indianapolis with my master of science in physical therapy. And that was great for a while. I kind of did that. I went back and took the orthopedic certification specialist, the board certified exam. So I'd have the OCS. And then I also did a fellowship uh, training at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And so that's where I really got involved more in pain science and learning about that. So I enjoyed that so much. I went back and did a second master's degree through the University of Illinois at Chicago and I got my master's of science in rehab sciences. And then along the lines, I realized the profession had changed quite a bit and I went back and got my transitional doctorate of physical therapy. And I'm currently enrolled as a PhD student at the University of Otago. That's so exciting. And what is your research on, or your dissert, I guess it's a dissertation? My thesis. Thesis, right. Uh, so my thesis has actually evolved over time. I've spent, the majority of my career was spent for 15 years in Chicago working with uh, a marginalized patient population. So typically on the south and west side, most of the patients either had some form of charity care or Medicaid. And so I really grew a passion for helping and maximizing the impact we could, we could have with those patients and looking at it from a systems point of view. So I'm doing a mixed method study, exploring how marginalized patients view their experiences in chronic pain, but it's situating it here in the triad where High Point University is located. That's so cool that, so you're going for your PhD right now? Yes. Okay, very cool. And what made you want to get your PhD? Oh, that's, it's been a lifelong dream of mine to get a PhD. It's just if you're going to go for a PhD, it needs to be something you're passionate about. And so it took me a while to cultivate an idea that I thought was worth pursuing there. I always have lots of interest in different things I've explored, but this is the one that really settled and, and met home with me and brought back full circle things I had done as an undergrad student. So healthcare economics and, and medical ethics and that kind of stuff that I really enjoyed as a liberal arts major, but then bringing it back to how does it really fit into the patient? So, you know, looking at the patient individually, but also the system's influences on the patient and vice versa. Yeah, that's really cool. I think especially, um, you know, currently right now, and you're working with um, a patient population that you're, you know, doing your PhD on. So that's really cool too. Yeah, so it actually worked out really well as we built our High Point University's uh, pro bono physical therapy clinic we wanted to know what the patients needed. So we had an idea, but we didn't want to create a clinic that was seemingly altruistic, but really did not match the needs of the patients. So we had contacted 10,000 phone numbers um, and got a great response rate, and then recognized those were only English-speaking patients. So we went back again and have done that in Spanish, so we've gotten a really good response rate. And it was a great way for us developing the pro bono clinic to make inroads into a community. I, you know, I moved down here from Chicago, a new program so we really hadn't had connections yet with the community community so we had to get partners that the population trusted so that we could come in and meet with them and, and that was a great learning experience and now we're doing the same thing in Arabic so I've just started those in December so same survey just 
layers upon layers, trying to reach as many different people as we can to truly um, embrace being culturally welcoming to everybody. I think that's really unique to pro bono clinics, at least in my experience, which is pretty limited so far, but like working in so many different languages, you know, people don't necessarily think of that. And that's just so incredible. Yes. So we have this, so first of all, it's a very unique pro bono clinic anyway, because it is open 40 hours per week. And I don't, and I may be wrong, so I apologize to anyone that I'm offending, but I don't know if there's any other clinic that is open 40 hours per week. So we have a full-time clinician plus a second clinician who is doing a fellow. So we have a fellowship that we've started. And so the fellowship name is RAISE. So the R is raising others through equal. And then A is access to healthcare. The I is impactful physical therapy. And the S is systems-based advocacy. And the E is engaging in socio-political discourse, which is a big mouthful. But in a nutshell, we're trying to embrace um, giving patients equitable access to expert care. So we have two highly trained clinicians who are also fans as I am. And we just have a passion for working with all sorts of different patients. And it really has shown through the data that we're seeing, we've had patients come from over 31 different countries now. The languages um, are just wide ranging. So it's been really just a learning curve for us as well, trying to really work in this such a great multicultural place. Yeah, that's, that's really cool too, especially since we, um, I don't, I think most programs, they have a pro bono clinic that's open, you know, maybe at night or maybe like during an afternoon. But um, I know hearing from other students, they usually go like once a week, but it's usually, you know, not during regular business hours, you could say. Right. So, yeah. So we just, we had some really unique funding opportunities. We had some federal and local grant monies that allowed us to basically put together this um, huge clinic. We have essentially eight treatment rooms. We have a large community space. And so the students are in there once a week, but they're in there under the tutelage of the teaching assistants we have. And it's part of three courses that I direct called community outreach. So community outreach one, two, and three, where they get to interact with the patients. And so you, you know, you talk about as a, as a student applying into a PT school or in PT school, and you talk about these cultural awareness kind of things, but it's really nice to have that lecture and then actually be able to see that lecture in action the very next afternoon. So it's a really unique fun thing that we have going on. That's really cool, actually. I didn't even know that you guys had anything like that, and I don't think many programs do, from what I've heard, at least. <laughs> Somebody's going to email us and be like, hey, our program does this too. But <laughs> as far as I know, that's super unique, and I think that's so amazing. Yeah, thank you. So we get, we get exciting, and the students actually enjoy it too. So we have a student board. If they don't function as some of the other student boards. Um, I know that the pro bono clinics that are available, some of the students actually run the whole clinic. So the DPT students take everything from the scheduling to you know making sure the, the linens are taken care of, just like all that organization of bringing in TAs to help uh, supervise. And so what we're using our board for is a community project. And the one they seem to be embracing for this year is the community garden that we're starting. So we did get a grant to help us get that started, and we're calling it a giving garden. And so patients that come into the the clinic can either use the food pantry that we have that's available to them, or they can come and help us work in the garden, and we'll be harvesting our first uh, first produce coming this summer and fall, so we're getting pretty excited about that. That's so cool. I had no idea that was even a thing, and I think that's really serving the community and like meeting them where they're at, what they actually need, and it's not just about physical therapy. It's right. about their health and their, like, their access to food and stuff. 
Yes, and I think that, you know, physical therapists were so well positioned to help people engage in things that can change their health behaviors for the positive. And a lot of that comes down to physical activity, which is well within our wheelhouse. But if you're not well fed, if you don't have the right nutrients, if you, you know, you don't have the energy then to, to do what you need to do to be active. So we're really trying to figure out what their needs are. So we do have a huge intake form. One of our questions does deal with food insecurity. So do they know where their next meal is coming from? And if they don't, then they have the opportunity to get that food right then and there. So we're really trying to be, as, again, a systems approach to what's going on with the patient. Just not that they're here because they have pain, but what are the stressors in their lives? How well can they actually engage with physical activity? What are the barriers to that kind of physical activity? And so we, we just kind of keep following along with them and seeing where we can meet them. Yeah, that's really great too. I just, I haven't been to the pro bono clinic yet, but I will start, I believe the first community outreach is net in, in the summer. The summer semester. Yes. Yeah, so it'll be the first semester of our, the second year, which is great. And yeah, I mean, just having that experience too as a student, I think is really important. Um, what have you gotten from student, well, I guess the current second year students mm -hmm. feedback with you know, being in the clinic and having that um, exposure and experience early on. No, I think they're, they're really appreciating it. So sometimes it's a little frustrating because frustrating that's all pro bono, all, all clinics, let's be honest. Um, you, you do have patients that end up not showing and that can be frustrating. But for when they, the patients get there, it's just a really, you know, the, you can see the students get excited and they're finally putting together all the coursework they've had up until this point in the curriculum. So all your MSK courses, your neuro courses, your anatomy, the CBP, all that starts to come into a real life patient. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's fascinating that we can actually do it. And they can actually make some meaningful change. So at the end of the first semester last year with the current DPT students, you know, patients were giving hugs and they were writing letters. And it was just really, it was really nice and emotional to kind of see the connections the students had made over that first 15 weeks and the differences they'd already made in the, in the patient's lives. Yeah, and that's so amazing. And you guys are a new program. So like, when did you start the pro bono clinic? What got you started on it? Uh, so that was actually started before I got hired here. It was one of the reasons I was recruited down here, actually, was to, to take on this project. It was, again, essentially the patients that we were, I was treating in Illinois. It's just North Carolina did not, North Carolina did not decide to extend the Affordable Care Act which meant 20 to 40% of the population, depending on the pocket we're looking at, does not have health insurance. And in Guilford County alone, 70,000 people do not have health insurance. I mean, that's essentially a football stadium size of people that do not have an ability to get into healthcare. So we knew there was a pressing need. It was one of the foundational reasons we had the program developed. We wanted to fill a health desert here. And so we knew we needed to get into um, the community and figure out what they were needing. So that was, that's how that got started and we opened December 5th of 2017 so just opened over a year but we pretty much hit the ground running once we were able to get into our site that we have. Yeah that's that's great and I know I visited the clinic once and it's a really really cool environment too just with all the equipment and the space but just to make patients comfortable too because they're going in and they're not you know they most of them have they had any physical therapy or well it's an interesting thing in physical therapy right so yes we have a huge percentage of the population that has not had access to health care but we also have a huge percentage of population that has an insurance that is restrictive to the number of visits that you get for physical therapy so with the Medicaid that they had in North Carolina up until just recently and I think it passed changed in November or so but essentially you had one visit if you had an orthopedic condition so they may have seen one clinician and that was it 
um, so they have a, the smallest of exposure and then come see us. And then some people have private insurance, but for some reason that insurance does not provide physical therapy or does not include it. So we've had the whole spectrum of socioeconomic classes. It's just their exposure to the healthcare will vary based on the type of insurance that they've had in there. But we do try to be welcoming as possible. It is you know, it's a 9,000 square foot place. We have plenty of space for everyone. Um, eight treatment rooms, and it really gives us the opportunity to sit and talk with the patient. So we give them a two-hour visit, which is not normal in most physical therapy worlds, but because we don't know what kind of healthcare exposure they've had, we want to make sure that we're screening as much as possible as frontline providers to pain management. Yeah, and you have a huge facility, it sounds like, eight treatment rooms. Is it like a separate building or is it in your PT building? It's, it's actually a separate building. It used to be an old Circuit City building. So if you can imagine how cavernous it is from top to bottom with the tall ceilings. Um, and then it, it uh, was our old PA space before our current building was built. So there, the, the old treatment rooms were already in there, which is really nice. Very cool. I'm going to have to come down and see there one there, see it one day. <laughs> You're more than welcome yes. to <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to say, does Slippery Rock have a pro bono clinic? I'm just curious. I wasn't sure. We are in the process. <laughs> um, it's Ours is in the process. It's been in the works for several months now. I think it's actually been in the works for like a year, but the problem is it is only student-led. So although that is amazing, if it, if it works out, the hard thing is you have the third years who have all this knowledge and the, the capabilities to make this, but then they graduate and leave and that has been a recurring issue for like a couple of years of who is going to start it and how are they going to continue it and I think that's the big issue with pro bono clinics is if they're all student-led. So I will say and I'll put a plug in there is a conference called the pro bono conference so pro bono, yeah. it's something that I forget what it is but it's at Widener University in March and then they have one I think in the Midwest and the West so they tend to occur every year March through April it's a student-run conference, which I think is really interesting and oh. a source for other people to interview for you guys. But it's a student-run conference. And then what happens is, is that the students make a presentation. So they talk about the difficulties of getting clinics up and running. And they talk about what, they, what they've done and how they've done community outreach and their creative problem solving. Because as you said, most of the pro bono clinics are student-run. It's a great place to network and figure out solutions to probably a common problem. Like the difficulties you're having, I'm guessing, all other schools have had or the majority right. and so you can and you can talk with them so literally you go in and it's this huge like banquet hall and there's two tables that probably have 10 to 12 people and that's your faculty and then there's 20 tables of the same size but it's all students so it's student run student given it's a great place to network and just meet other students who are trying to do the same thing you're trying to accomplish but the faculty just kind of watching more than anything so that would be cool yeah. i have not heard of it yep so we've been once when I first was hired before we were open we went and then we went last year and I have two students that have applied to present this year as well so we've presented the last two years and I'm hoping they'll get in but yeah so it's really fun to go March, yeah Philadelphia so I'd be close for you well yes am I close <laughs> other side but better than Arizona we'll say yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, we'll definitely include that include that in the show notes. But yeah, I've never heard of a conference like that. Mm -hmm. That is really cool. So because so keep in mind that with the passage of the Affordable Care Act, that was supposed to be the umbrella to take care of patients, but it was never the intended umbrella to take care of every patient. And it systematically eliminated certain groups of populations and certain groups of people that would not just have access to the Affordable Care Act for, for a myriad of reasons we can't go into now. 
But what happens is, is that you, so some of the pro bono clinics actually closed after the passage of the Affordable Care Act, but given the political upheaval and, and currently the federal judges ruling in Texas that has put the Affordable Care Act in peril, um, a lot of the pro bono clinics have been starting up again. So the school started pro bono clinics because it met the APTA code of ethics. It kind of met some of these other needs that CAPTI was requiring. It meets a social need. Um, and the need of that will fluctuate depending on what's going on outside of healthcare, the more the politics of it. And so we spend a lot of time in community outreach three talking about the politics then. So health literacy, you know, what's going on with national versus international models of healthcare and how that impacts who's going to be coming into your clinic. That's really awesome. And I think, you know, people don't think about that. The, the bigger picture, like what's going on outside of you. You may want to do this certain thing in your pro bono clinic. You may want to open it up, but you have to think about the bigger picture. Like, can you or how can you based on whatever political climate or whatever is happening? Right. And, and even, you know, for the most part, the average, clinic, the average person, I don't think, understands the Affordable Care Act. Students will recognize the Affordable Care Act because you get to stay on your parents' insurance a little bit longer, right? Mm -hmm. But the Affordable Care Act does a lot more for the working poor. So people that are, the majority of the people that needed Medicaid are between the ages of 19 and 64. And if they have an ability to get to health care, even though they're working, most of them can't afford any type of health care or the, where they're working doesn't provide health care insurance for them. So the Affordable Care Act was opening up a door for the people that just needed help um, with health care access and that insurance got them in the door. What happens with that health care access really depends on what's going on politically and with the different laws and, and how, you know, some of the, it's very detailed, but any, anyway, it does impact who you're going to see in your pro bono clinic. And if you don't have that type of awareness as a clinician going out into the world, you're really gonna have a limited perspective of what kind of patient you're treating and what else is going on there. And I think it gives us a voice when we talk about insurances that do put restrictions on physical therapy visits and caps on physical therapy visits. When you have bureaucratic constraints on your health, on your healthcare, on your plan of care, right? Why is that? Is that something we can overcome? Is that a conversation we can have with insurancers who are trying to keep costs down, right? Because that healthcare costs are out of control. So can you have an intelligent conversation with the people that are putting these constraints on your practice? Not if you don't know where they're coming from. Yeah, and I know everybody doesn't like to hear like, oh, I don't really like to go into looking into insurance and kind of the information, but as clinicians, you know, we need to as much as we really don't like to have that conversation at all. But yeah, it's definitely something to to research. And even if you're not in PT school yet, or if you are a student, it's super important just to kind of like, just look at some information to see, you know, what, what's out there and um, what your patients, the kind of hurdles they have to jump through to, to get into PT. But honestly, when I interview students, one of the things I'm looking for is do they have this bigger awareness? They, you know, they may not phrase it as social justice in the way I consider it, but do they have this broader understanding of what goes on in healthcare and in physical therapy. And if you've done some investigation or you've seen some real life experience as an aide, um, helping you know figure out if someone's got enough visits to continue with treatment, I think you have just a better understanding, a better empathy for what the overall situation is. Agreed. And I think that's a good point to make that, you know, you are a part of the board who like interviews people. And I think that you have a, a huge knowledge knowledgeable, I don't know how to word it, <laughs> like a, a huge amount of knowledge of 
what it takes to be into PT school and what you're looking for. And I think that that's really important to note. Like people need to know more than just the GRE, their GPA and all of that stuff. I'm not, I'm personally, I'm not as interested in the person that is, has a high GRE and a high GPA that just cannot relate to the patient or where the patient's coming from. Because at the end of the day, you have to treat patients and you have to be able to talk to them and you have to be able to connect with them. And if you can't develop some kind of empathy, which parlays into a therapeutic alliance, which actually has positive impact on what happens in the clinic and your outcomes, you're just not going to make a difference. And, and that's not who I want. You, you can be the smartest person, but if you can't communicate, it's, it's not going to get you very far in this profession. Yeah, agreed. I definitely agree with that. So going into more of um, what advice would you give to a current PT student or any um, aspiring PT students? I know right now, you know, as people are getting acceptances, they don't start school for a few months. So um, any advice on like the time that they have before school? Um, so that's, it's almost a two-part question. Yeah. So for those of the students that are still looking to apply or what to do, what I would be looking for is someone that has exposure to a variety of clinical settings. So not just the outpatient orthopedic standalone clinic. And those are easy to find and I understand it's harder to get to some of the other clinics, but really putting some effort into looking at across the fitness spectrum and across the socioeconomic spectrum. Are there different types of patients that you can see just so that you have a broader perspective of what really goes on when a patient's coming into your clinic. So I, I like the, broad, the breadth and depth that you can get as far as exposures to different types of physical therapy in the clinics. Um, and I also would like to hear stories of where you've come from and how you had to overcome a difficulty. So not just getting a C in a class, which I totally can appreciate is very devastating and, and, and not where, you know, not, where, not an easy thing to come over. But how, how have you interacted with the world in a way that, that demonstrated you can have some grit and resilience and some self-awareness and an ability to, to overcome an obstacle um, that was placed before you? Because physical therapy has a lot of obstacles um, and there's lots of hoops you jump through and there's a lot of hard work and, and to be able to persevere through that kind of difficulty is a, it's a really, it's a skill in itself. And then for those of you that have gotten in and just have some time, like go explore the world, like have fun, explore the world, travel, learn something new about someone else that doesn't look or sound or have done anything like you would have done and just, just connect with the world. Have some fun. Yeah, definitely. Love that advice. That's what we had told some, we uh, interviewed somebody yesterday who like, he just got accepted into PT school and he starts in August he was so excited and he was like, this is kind of my free time. Like, what do I do? And that's exactly what we told him. Like, go travel, explore. Yeah. We don't do that enough. I think here in the U S as a, you know, as a society, we just like go to school, go to school, get a job, you know, like, mm -hmm. it's kind of like, go, 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 go. But yeah, just take a break, have some fun. You've worked really hard to, to get to this spot in your life. So enjoy it and make sure you, you celebrate that. Yeah. Agreed. I love that. I love that. So as a current PT student, how would you recommend people get involved in a pro bono clinic, first of all, and then what are they allowed to do, at least um, for your pro bono clinic? Yeah, that's a great question. So we really value having students in our clinic. Don't get me wrong, it is a patient-first clinic because if patients don't feel welcome and that they're being treated with um, high-level care, or at least someone's overseeing them, they're not going to want to come. The second thing I really want is the students feel welcome in there, right? And they want to come and be there. So outside of the three courses that they take, 
one of the ways they can be involved is through a graduate assistant. So we have funding within our department that we can pay students to, to be in the clinic to help us collect data. So you can do the typical PTA work where you're you know, cleaning the plants and doing that kind of stuff. But we also have opportunities. We have a fairly intensive and extensive intake form where we're looking at things that inform us about the diagnosis and prognosis of their, their musculoskeletal condition. So we're looking at things from health literacy to their BMI, to, you know, how heavy they are compared to how tall they are. We're looking at things as how round their waist is, because that informs us where the abdominal fat is. We're looking at how fast they walk, how much they can stand up and sit down in 30 seconds. So we, we take those kind of objective data, which they can, students at best, at, you know, first and second years can take. We even have our undergrad students who are in the pre-PT club um, get involved in doing that. And so they can take that kind of data for us. So that's one way we have it. We're doing it with pro bono board, as I talked about before, I think has about nine different committees. One of them heads up our volunteers. So we have volunteers outside of the administrative people. One of them works on the food pantry. One of them is working on keeping the community engaged. So they send out, I'm no good at social media. So they send out things for us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all those kind of things. So there's different ways to be involved. Just be creative, if I would say. So you know, you're having trouble kind of getting some traction with your board and getting it up and I mean, with your clinic, getting it up and running. There may be ways to be creative with how to gain that traction. Do you need to get more community just support? Do you need to get more faculty support? You know, do you need to get some providers on board? How are there different ways that you can reach into not only your school community? In the university community, but the healthcare community and, and the community largely around that you'd be treating, how can you get them on board? Because it, it sounds like maybe, you know, this is successful because I have my boss and my boss's boss and his boss's boss all supporting this type of endeavor. So it, it does take literally a village, you know, to get this up and running, but we do have as many people supporting. So I think for students, you know, don't be afraid to have a voice and start seeking a way to gather the voices you need so they're all heard together and then actually facilitate that type of momentum, um, trans, you know, translate that into some kind of action. Because it sounds like you've got the momentum, you just haven't been able to get the traction in, in turning it into action. But I think together, you'll get a lot more done. And so that's what we've done. We've gathered 25 students or so out of our 59 in our class and now we've sectioned them into groups and they each got a role and now they come back together and, and we work on that. So different ways to get involved. Volunteering, you know, aid work that could be paid or not paid depending on the type of clinics that you have. But really it's finding that cohesive voice. Very cool. The other question I had was like for pre-PT students, like you said, for them to be involved in your pro bono clinic, do they, they also do the assessments? Like, or like... I actually was just interviewing two undergrad students. So we on, on High Point University, we have an exercise science major, which most of our physical therapy students, I think, are coming from. And so they have a pre-PT club. And so this is, again, another way where you have a group of students that are getting together and trying to maximize what they can do together. So I, I offer up an undergrad position. So it can be any, any position, anyone that kind of fits within what we need help with. So they've got an exercise science major, but maybe they're a pre-PA major, that's okay, like if that's their interest. 
but that it works out great. So now we get interdisciplinary cl collaboration. So if you're an undergrad student and you're thinking you want to be a PT, and you're now you get to talk with a, an undergrad student who thinks they want to be a PA, and so now each of you still have that ability to collect the data for us because we have the, the clinicians on site, and this is just something that anyone can do kind of once you're trained because it's just very specific, quick kind of things that we're looking to get out of them. We also have had, I also say, you know, if you can speak more than one language, that is awesome. So, so whether you're applying to PT school or healthcare in general. So we do have the Spanish majors will volunteer and practice their medical Spanish in our clinic. And so that's one way we've leveraged not having someone, um, none of our administrative assistants speak Spanish. So we, we've sought out the undergrad students to help us volunteer. Some of them are healthcare majors, some of them are not but it's just been really nice having that extra layer of assistance and volunteering. So we, we look for different ways to get students across the board involved, um, all following under that, that umbrella of PT8. So we keep them within the scope of practice. And again, scope of practice will be defined by your state practice act. So you just have to kind of look and see what you can do and what you can't do. Yeah, that's really cool, especially any pre-PTs who are listening and they wanna, um, you know, even get observation hours, especially being in this type of setting, I think that's really important to get exposure early. Yes. And um, I know, well, like it is, I mean, some pro bono clinics are student-led, so that also makes it hard, but if you do have the opportunity and there is a pro bono clinic near you, then definitely take the opportunity to shadow. Right, and I think for any pro bono clinic, I think the important thing is the consistency, right? So are you there all the time? Can you be there? So if, you've, if you're a student-run clinic and you need help covering, you know, just even administrative stuff, can you work with your pre-PT club and the undergrad side to help with calling patients or, or calling the, the volunteer clinicians who are helping? Um, there's probably things that you can help them with so that you can focus more on, on treating the patients as well. Yeah, and that's something that uh, hopefully my future pro bono clinic, not that I'm even, I'm not like a big part of leading it at all. I'm not even, because um, it, it hasn't opened yet, but when it does open, I hope that it can be more interdisciplinary. And also, I think that's that's really clever to have the like pre-PT club so involved. I actually had never even thought of that. I don't know if, if that's a common thing, but I think it's really clever. I don't know if it's a common thing either, but you know, I'm thinking of like, what, what does a student need when they're applying to PT school? They need hours. What do I want? I want exposure to different styles of patients and different kinds of conditions. So it's kind of a win-win for us. Yeah. Uh, so anytime you can think of that kind of collaborative, knowing who your stakeholders are, whether it's students or patients or faculty or whatever you're trying to get, seeing a way that you can get you all to win. I mean, get something out of it will just leverage um, how much you can actually get done. Yeah, I love that. I wish I was like at some school in undergrad where they had a pro bono clinic and I totally would have shadowed. I think that would have been an incredible opportunity. Yeah, that you're the kind of student we want coming into the program. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people are really going to appreciate that, especially PT students too that, I mean, I don't know how many programs have student-led pro bono clinics. I mean, I know there's some, but um, for PT students to hear this, I think it's it's going to be really important. Right, because even if they, even if the school does, so if the school doesn't have it, we'd love them to start it. And if they do have one, we'd love them to make it more, you know, bigger and successful and how to how to think about doing that. And again, that's where the pro bono clinic conference I think would be really great for you guys to mm -hmm. go to. 
and you next year maybe, but you know what I mean? It's like just giving you different ways to think about it. Um, because again, the more voices you have, the better your outcomes are going to be. And also, so if, if PT students or aspiring PT students have any questions, would you be open to them reaching out to you um, via e what email or what, how would they contact you? Uh, so they can reach me via email and I can, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. That would be that I'm happy to entertain questions. Just, you know, make sure they put in the, the subject line something clear and coherent so they know that they're a student that had had heard about the podcast and are wanting to do that. Perfect. And we will put everything in the show notes below so you guys can check out um, her email. We'll check out different links to like pro bono clinic stuff and the, the networking. Of, like, conference the, link. The conference yeah. link. That's the word. <laughs> and yeah, thank you so much for coming on today. We greatly appreciate it. Oh, of course. I'm honored that you guys were inviting me. This yes. is a great opportunity for me too. So yeah, this is a great conversation. Thanks for listening to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our Instagram and Facebook page linked in the description.